word that's been on my mind a lot lately is fidelity. It's not a word you hear too much anymore, but I remember growing up as a kid and, and when uh, technology was proceeding, uh, especially in the music industry, your sound system, they'd, they'd always put the word high fidelity. Why did they put high fidelity there? It meant that it was true to the original sound. The church is being called to fidelity, to be true to Christ, and to be loyal to Christ. Fidelity. We're closing up the book of Hebrews, and as we do, we came to chapter 13, which is a long list of instructions that the writer seems to be sort of squeezing in at the edge of the page. And even though they're short and brief, they're profound and, and really require looking into. And so, I don't know about you, but I know about me, and I know that as we look at these words, they make me stretch. He says to, to love others. And then he says, but, but love as though you are a brother and sister. He says uh, to be hospitable, not to the, just to the friends that you have, but, but to everyone, even strangers. And today we have First Timothy, uh, sorry, um, we have Hebrews 13, 3, which says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. Sorry. Remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And I just wanted to say, if, if you're feeling stretched, if you're feeling uh, that it's difficult the beauty of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that you are not in it alone. And actually, God himself gives us what we need. In 1 Timothy 1.7, we read these words. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. See, I believe if you have those things... You can do these extraordinary things that the writer of Hebrews is presenting before us. So let's go back now to Hebrews 13.3. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. You see, on the face of things, uh, it, it might not seem that this passage even applies. At, at present, at least, I don't know anyone in prison. Um, I don't know if anybody here does. Uh, I don't know someone who is suffering difficulties because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And clearly it was a different time in which Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, was writing. 
But who here could not say that they don't know someone who struggles with health, who struggles emotionally or financially or relationally? Because all of these things that are suffering and difficulty and trials can themselves feel like prisons. Can you can feel like you're in jail. You're imprisoned by poor health or an emotional dysfunction or, or financial challenges or relational challenges. And so I think that we can take this passage even though he's talking about prison, and we can apply it to remembering those who are struggling and suffering in very profound and very real ways. When I think about how we respond to people that are struggling like that, I think that we often use the wrong measure of success. When we were, well, it was our first house, Colleen and I um, bought a, a semi-detached in Pickering, Ontario, and it was just built. And so, you know, like it's a new home, so there's a lot of decorating and stuff to do. And I remember one day, deciding I was going to put wainscoting on the wall. Now, just so you know what I'm talking about, like it would be like this, but I wasn't going to do the fancy stuff underneath. I was just doing the railing, you know. I think they call them chair rails, maybe. So I was going to go into our family room, and I was going to put um, a chair rail around the whole thing, all four walls. And I took... All day, in absolute frustration, because I was using the wrong measure on putting those corners together. I didn't know there was a thing called a miter box. <laughs> you know, you've seen them, right? They got that 45 degree angle right there. You actually cut it, and it works, comes out, they fit. Not me. I'm going to cut it 45 degrees. You see, I was using the wrong measure to try to have success in putting up that chair, chair rail. Boy, was I glad when my neighbor come, came over and said, why don't you use this tip? Maybe you told Dan that I... <laughs> you got to help this guy. She's always telling me to go to the neighbors for help. <laughs> and I'm always saying, no, I'm too stubborn. <laughs> Doesn't help that right now I'm living next to uh, <laughs> this extraordinary guy that can do anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You see, so often when it comes to addressing people that are struggling and having difficulty, our measure is social norms, right? So, so somebody's in the hospital, well, I should probably, because the social norm kind of dictates, I should probably go make a visit, 
10, 15 minutes, don't want to over this, you know, I don't want it to upset my life or my schedule. So I'm going to go and just, because that's what the social norm is. And that is the measure that we use in determining whether we have successfully addressed the needs of that person who is struggling or suffering. But the author of Hebrews, and in fact, all of Scripture is adamant that the correct measure that we need to be using is what Jesus taught. And we know it as the golden rule. To do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, if I was spending countless days in a hospital, worried about my health, not feeling well, what would I want from somebody else? Not in the same situation. If I was constantly stressed out because I lost my job, and my finances in the bank are just going down, 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 and maybe now I'm maxing my credit cards, what would I want? If I was experiencing a deep emotional valley, what would I want? What would be a true blessing? What would be identification, identifying with me? What would it take? You know, social norms, quite frankly, are really inadequate when it comes to trying to minister to people and to bless people who are suffering and struggling. Often, they're just the most bare minimum. And quite frankly, they are motivated by the wrong thing. It's more about how we feel. We feel good that we paid them a visit in the hospital. We can feel good about ourselves. And so, we can take pride, or we can beat ourselves up because we didn't get around. Social norms are just highly inadequate. This golden rule to do to others as you would have them do to you is a much higher standard. And scripture is remarkably clear and focused and specific about what the author of Hebrews writes. Continue to remember those in prison as you were together with them in prison and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Because Prison was sort of part of the life of the early church. And the Apostle Paul, he lived with this concept of inadequate help while he suffered in prison. Here's an example. He's writing to his protege, his, his sort of his, his, his uh, apprentice. Timothy, he's in jail, and he writes these words to Timothy. 
You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, in, including Phygelus and Hermogenes, I guess. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. And may the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So we have this stark contrast of Paul who's living these words out in reality. It's prison he's in, and all the believers have deserted him. Except for this guy. Weird name. Onesiphorus. What a good guy, though. Not just sort of throwing crumbs. Not just following the social norms. Not getting to Rome and sort of saying, ah, it's a big city, I can't find him. Searched hard to find him. Refreshed me in so many ways. Went out of his way. You see, I believe Onesiphorus must have thought to himself, if I was in his situation, what would I want? Are we willing to walk a mile in someone else's shoes? That's what the command here is. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves are suffering. And so he writes, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, honor this man and his family, and learn from him and do likewise. He also writes this, 2 Timothy 1. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This idea of shame as it relates to suffering, you don't have to look back 2,000 years to grasp that. Somebody falls on hard times, our first instinct is, what did they do to deserve that? Somebody, something happens to someone. And even though we resist it, you know, there's still that sort of thing in the back of your head. How are they responsible? We sit in judgment. Paul's saying to me, don't be ashamed of me. I'm a prisoner. He's not a prisoner because he stole from the bank. He's a prisoner because he's doing the will of God. But what kind of a thing is that to say to Timothy? Don't be ashamed of me. And then he says, rather, join me in suffering for the gospel. Wow. you got to be pretty selfish, right, to say something like that. You're in prison, and you're saying... Come and join me in prison. Come and suffer with me. Is that selfish? 
Is he being selfish and self-centered? He so wants relief that he would rather have Timothy suffer the same way he suffered. Well, no. <laughs> and, and we know this because we, we can read in, in, in Paul's other writings, like in Philippians 3, 10 to 11, these words. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering. I want to participate in the suffering of Christ, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to be like Christ. And if that means suffering, I want to suffer for Christ. That's what he wrote. I think it's kind of ironic, but Paul, in a sense, is wanting for Timothy what he wants himself. Did you get that? He wants for Timothy what he wants for himself, and what he wants for himself is to suffer for Christ. Wow, we have to talk about the upside-down kingdom of God. This is upside-down. Because we want to get away from suffering at all costs. And we'll compromise to get away from it. <laughs> but the call of Christ is not to avoid suffering. And Paul's words were, don't avoid it. You're going to find such richness, such gratification, because you are identifying with Christ. It's a pure joy to identify with Christ in this way. He says in 2 Timothy 3, You, you however, is writing to Timothy again, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We will know persecution if we are followers of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in Timothy, Paul does, and he uses three totally unrelated vocations to explain why it's good to suffer for Christ. So in 2 Timothy 2, he starts off, he says, join with me in suffering. And then he uses these three examples. Like a good soldier, first one, a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. You see, in order to suffer for Christ is to be obedient to God, even if it means suffering for him. And then he says, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete doesn't receive, receive the victor's crown except by complete, competing according to the rules. We're to be obedient to the point of suffering. And that leads to spiritual success. There's re great reward 
And then he uses the hardworking farmer. Who's laughing at <laughs> The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. There's great reward for us when we suffer for Christ. And so when Paul says, join me in my suffering, he's not being selfish. He's not saying it'd be a great relief if I had some company in this place. It's a real bummer that everybody deserted me. He's saying, come suffer with me and, and enjoy the gratification of identifying with Christ. And who knows, we may even have the high honor of dying for Christ. Do you think like that? I don't. That is a challenge. I don't think like that. I avoid suffering. And so, once again, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who were mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. We're to identify with each other as though we were the one in their shoes. And this is not just prison we're talking about. This is people who are suffering in all different kinds of ways. There's more to this than meets the eye, that there's actually great reward in this level of identification, in this level of sacrifice. Let us not just do the bare minimum, which is the social norm, because it's inadequate. It doesn't please God. It doesn't satisfy the person that we're trying to bless It's inadequate. The only thing that's a, that is adequate in the eyes of God and certainly to the one who's receiving the help is if we walk in their shoes, if we identify with them at the level where we think, what would I want? What would really help? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these challenging words from the author of Hebrews. Lord, help us be so infused with your Holy Spirit that we have a mindset that is transformed around these things. Help us to be the church that you've envisioned. A church that loves as brothers and sisters love. That is hospitable. And that so identifies with those who are going through hard times that we see ourselves in them and take their place and respond accordingly. Thank you for your word. It is a light to our path. In Jesus' name we pray.